Before we start today's podcast, the Truth About Aging wish to acknowledge that this episode has been recorded on the traditional lands of the Ghana people. We pay our deepest respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge the Ghana people as the custodians of the Adelaide region and that their cultural and heritage beliefs are still as important to the living Ghana people today. everyone and welcome to the Truth About Aging podcast. I'm your host, Kate Helmore. Each week we'll be unpacking your questions about the aged care sector, discussing how to age well, grow old and make informed decisions. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Truth About Aging podcast thought I'd just have a little check-in with you all at the top of this episode. Firstly, because I desperately need you all to keep me accountable. And this is something I've been meaning to do for probably about a month now. And it's very poor considering who I am and what this podcast is. I desperately need to contact my age care for my own grandma. If you've listened into a few other episodes, she did have a few little health issues recently and had a stint in hospital and has been requiring a bit of extra help at home. She's currently on a level one home care package. So part of the convo I need to have with my age care is about getting her reassessed for potentially a higher level package. It has been on my to-do list for far too long. So I am very deliberately saying it on this podcast so that I can't dare show up next week and not have contacted them. So please keep me accountable. That is my mission for this coming week. A few other little life updates. My beautiful little bub is turns 12 weeks old tomorrow. Tomorrow I don't have a newborn anymore, which is just crazy to get my head around that it has absolutely flown by. I guess at times in the early days, it wasn't flying by, but always in hindsight, it's been a crazy, crazy time. And she is just gorgeous and just really thriving, which is so beautiful to see and also makes it easier to be a mum too, because she's been so happy and sleeping better and eating well and just ticking all the boxes, which has been really, really great. In some sad news, I did just want to mention in here and just give a little shout out to my partner's beautiful family. His nan passed away in this last week. And as always, it's a really hard time to process that, work through that and grieve the loss of a loved one within a family. His family has been so beautiful at really sharing and celebrating special memories of her time and We're particularly grateful that she was able to meet Cece before she died as well and have some really beautiful vision and moments captured of the two of them together. So that's been really special for my partner and his family too. So without further ado, we will jump into today's episode. Today is with the lovely Kim Somerville, who has been on the podcast before. Today, she's here on her own. She's an end-of-life doula, and she's going to be talking with me about dying at home and what it means for people to choose to die at home and why that's becoming an increasingly popular option for people. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode. I hope there's some bits that you can take away from it or a bit of food for thought. 
and we will jump on right in with Kim. So, Kim, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you very much, Kate. Lovely to be here. Now, some people probably tuned into the previous episodes that you've been on before, but I thought we'd just start off with maybe you introducing yourself and a little bit about what you do for work, just so that people know who they're listening to today. Yeah, sure. Uh, My name is Kim Somerville, and I'm here to talk to you today about my role as um, I'm an end-of-life doula, and I'm also a holistic funeral consultant as well and a palliative care nurse. Beautiful. And I know you work in so many different spaces, which we'll we'll unpack through some of our conversation today. But really, the topic of today's podcast is about dying at home. So I think certainly in my experience, and I'm sure it'd be similar in yours, there seems to be a lot more people wanting to explore options about dying at home and moving away from, I guess, what's been a very hospital and residential aged care has been the way that people have pictured themselves dying for a while. But I think there's a shift towards people wanting to know more about dying at home. So just thought we'd unpack some of that today. Is that something, have you seen that more and more people are moving towards that in your experience? Uh, Yes, definitely. Especially, you know, the last couple of years with COVID and all of its Mm -hmm. restrictions, definitely been an increase in palliative care patients and in particular dying at home more so than dying in the hospitals. So, yeah, it is very interesting and I do feel like it's definitely growing and there's a little bit more of awareness about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to start off with, did you want to talk a little bit about what people's options are for dying at home? Yeah, sure. It does depend on the individual situation, of course, but you can die at home if it's an expected death and you're living at home and being cared for at home, then you can definitely stay and um, care can be taken of you after you've died and you can stay in the home for a few days. Mm-hmm. But there's also the option of if somebody died in hospital or in an aged care facility or anything like that, that you can also, there is the option and choice to have your person brought back home as well. Really? I did not know that. Yeah, so that's something you would need to organised with your funeral director mm-hmm. and you would need to, you know, double check that all funeral directors would do that because generally what would happen, for example, if you if somebody does die in a hospital and the family would like them to come home um, just to have a home vigil and a little bit of time, what you would do is the funeral director would come to the hospital as per normal and mm-hmm. pick up their person and take them back into their care at the funeral home and then arrange with family for that person to get transferred back to the person's home, providing you, uh, you know, you may need to invest in hiring a cool plate Mm -hmm. or uh, depending on the situation, there are some things you need to consider and have, you know, have in place to be able to facilitate that. Wow. Okay. That's that's a very interesting little tidbit. I have no idea that people could do that. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I know from I know from my experience, certainly people with um, like home care package funding and things like that can use that towards supporting palliative care at home. If someone if someone knows that they wish to die at home or certainly want to remain at home for as long as possible, when should they start planning that, and what do those conversations look like? Yeah, well, I mean, naturally, the best time to talk about it is sort of before it happens mm-hmm. and when somebody is well or in a in, in a stable state of mind and 
you know, has the capacity to have those conversations, you know, the earlier that you can talk about it or sort of access support for that, then the more prepared the family can be and have everything in place so that it it all unfolds and it all happens the way that that person wishes it for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know certainly from my experience with assisting people to die at home through uh, home care packages with their support, obviously I think having it, if you know that that's what you want to do, being able to communicate that early on so everyone knows that they are your wishes means that it's kind of not this, uh, I guess, crisis point when it gets to, okay, what are we going to do now? Do we want to transfer them to hospital or are they going to stay at home? Kind of everyone's already on the same page. And whilst there's obviously a lot of things to coordinate fairly quickly in terms of whether that's nurses or carers or support for the family or probably even like end-of-life dollars and things like that, it's easier to pull together when you already know that's the wishes and that's very clearly documented or discussed beforehand as well. That's right. Yeah, definitely. But but that doesn't also doesn't mean that it, it couldn't happen. I know with the funeral home that I work at, we have families who call up once the person has died and and want to engage in services and say we'd like to keep our person at home. Oh wow! Um, and you you know, and then we sort of get the cool plate to the home and and sort of get that acted on straight away. You haven't got it organised before that person dies. It doesn't mean that it's too late. As long as you the appropriate people and know who those people are to make that call and to make it happen, well, then it can definitely, definitely still happen. Wow, that's really good to know. I didn't, I didn't realise you could do it that short a notice as well. Yeah. Gosh. People often don't sometimes know what they want until they're actually in it or until uh-huh. it's actually happened and yeah. then they might go, you know, hang on, we're not ready to have them leave home just yet. Mm, that totally makes sense. What, in your experience, what are what are some of the challenges that people, whether that's the individuals themselves or the families, what are some of the challenges with people dying at home? Uh, I think it's important to have good support and backup. Like it's a, it's a very, you know, people can sometimes take a long time to die, and but it can also be a very fast, sudden process. So um, I think what people, in my experience, have sort of said is that they didn't sort of realize how exhausted they would be yeah or I mean I'm just remembering a family in particular who had a it was a man and he was dying it was his wife and children who were going to look after him and the adult children and they were all you know they were boys and they were like yeah we could definitely look after dad and absolutely happy to do all that practical stuff but they said oh we didn't really think about all the hands-on personal mm-hmm. care we do for dad and we sort of found that a little bit confronting and weren't we didn't realize we'd have to do that as well so mm. I think explaining to people everything that's involved and making sure you've got people who are can do that or mm-hmm. bring services and just sort of have that or support structure put in place mm. yeah that can be one of the challenges yeah and, um, and if they're or if it's just someone on their own looking after someone and they don't have anyone else, that is also a challenge. So true. I think that's probably what I've seen in, in the people that we've assisted to, to die at home is that it, yeah. it's a pretty full-on task and it's 24-7 as well. So even whilst, you know, you can get great supports in to assist with that, it's pretty full-on from the family to be able to support that unless you've got a pretty good network there that can all work together and be very present it's 
yeah, it's it's a lot of work, which I think is an absolutely beautiful thing to be able to do for someone. And so many families are more than happy to do that so that they can support their loved one's wishes to die at home. And I think it's a really, there's some really beautiful parts of supporting death at home as well. But I think that's probably what I've seen underestimated as well as just how taxing that can be. Yeah, especially if the carer, whoever that may be, if they've got their own health concerns Mm -hmm. or issues, you know, not being able to sleep, you know, like if they're having to stay awake and, like you said, 24-7 care. So it's important to have someone, you know, to be there for you to to back you up so that you can get some rest. That's definitely where the end-of-life doulas really step in and can, you know, fill in all those gaps and all those spaces that needed. Mm, Absolutely. And so I guess... On that, what what can friends, if you were explaining it to a, a new client or something, what can friends or families or supports expect that they would need to do in terms of a commitment? Like what would a 24-hour period look like in terms of caring for someone, the palliative care at home? Yeah, well, um, I guess it would just involve things like when it gets to the point that the person is um, bed-bound, you know, whether they, there's someone who's there to be able to help reposition the person in bed to attend to their personal care and hygiene. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And just, and just sort of explaining to them also what to expect as the dying process is becoming more apparent and what that may look like and, um, you know, giving them the heads up on what they can sort of expect. Mm. So then you're sort of confronted by it or, you know, concerned when it it does actually come. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if this is, thing all the time but I know um, for some of the clients that I've worked with there might be say nurses visiting throughout the day but that they can draw up medications and pain relief for the family to be able to administer as well so that you know when there's not I guess staff there to support they're able to keep on top of that pain relief for their loved one as well. That's right yeah definitely Mm. and most most palliative care I mean not everyone but most palliative care patients at home do have the meds drawn up or at least a script for it or something. So I'm um, definitely having those what they call crisis meds available for when end of life does approach and, you know, if there's any extra pain or agitation mm. or anything, to really be prepared to have the correct medications to, to keep those under control And because yeah, there's nothing more distressing when someone is unsettled or restless and agitated yeah. at the end of very hard for the families to, to witness that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, yeah, so they're all all important things that you've touched on there. And it's hard to, I mean, I think it's one of those things, it's probably impossible to get a full grasp on until you've experienced it. And it's certainly not to, I, I, I would never want to scare people away from doing it because I think it really is a beautiful thing to be able to be part of. But I think it is important that people go in well-informed in terms of, yeah, it will be needing to shower and, well, not shower because people are bed bound, but being able to wash and change continence pads and potentially give medications, mouthwashes, all kinds of different comfort care, being able to, I guess, move them around as well a little bit so that they stay comfortable. But it it can be really quite hands-on. So I think the more people know about that and have a bit of an idea about what to expect, the easier it can be to transition into that with the expectation that, okay, I'm going to be doing quite a lot for for mum or for dad or for for your partner and that it is, it's hard work. It is. Yeah, it is. It definitely is hard work. And I know people that do it and have done it and I've witnessed them 
say it's the hardest thing I've ever done, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Mm. You know, you know that there will be an end to it and they will eventually be able to rest and fall in a heap once it all, it's all over. Mm. But now that, you know, it means everything to them to be able to do all they can and knowing that they've done the best they can. Mm, absolutely. And so in your role as an end-of-life doula, how do you, is it mainly support for the families, for the individual, for everyone throughout that process? What what does your role look like with supporting someone to die at home? Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely for everyone and um, it, it can be it can be everyone. It can be the person who is actually facing end-of-life themselves or it could be their family or their children. It's very individual depending on each family structure and their situation mm-hmm. but um sometimes I've sort of been there just maybe just recently I was just there for some parents looking after their child and then unexpectedly um, other family members showed up and were there when the little one died so um mm-hmm. sort of expanded then into supporting and guiding the grandparents through as well so um you are often dealing with all different family members or friends holding that space and such a special and important role to be able to play for families too yeah yeah it is I love it yeah yeah and just it's a bit of a side note do you do you personally find it exhausting doing that kind of work or is it you know is it I imagine it's also incredibly rewarding that it would be a, a, a bit of both giving a lot of energy but also getting a lot back from it yeah no it's definitely both I mean it's extremely rewarding and heartwarming and I could I could never not do it it's definitely my passion but um it is it is definitely very hard and some people affect you more than others and Mm. yeah it really does take its toll sometimes unfortunately that's just part of it and I'm just sort of still navigating in looking after myself and ensuring I do enough self-care to support myself to be able to continue doing it so Mm. I'm both hard but beautiful and I'm sure that's just what families feel as well yeah yeah absolutely and I'm guessing I'm kind of circling back a little bit here but I'm guessing it's probably helpful for people to have these kind of wishes and things documented throughout their advanced care directives and really in as many places as possible so that when it comes to that time it's clear what their wishes are and it makes it easier for families or care providers or end-of-life dollars to be able to support those wishes and get that into place as best possible yes um even if you don't have that in place just to even write it down on paper or to have a conversation with those key people that's that's enough just as long as your choices are heard and respected in some way or another Mm. and I think it's important or worth people being aware of you can be as detailed as you want in those two. It can be down to, you know, what kind of music you want on. If you want people baking cookies in the background so you've got that smell in the back or there's a particular light that you want used in the room or whatever it is, I think the some of the best advanced care directives or even just, I guess, um, documented wishes I've seen go into great detail about what that looks, feels, smells, tastes like the whole thing I think the more detail you get in there the better oh absolutely it's just like when you're planning for to have a baby yeah you know you make all those decisions and all those things you do and don't want in the moment it's just you're very similar to that yeah so true so true and I think then it really also helps it be such a beautifully individualized experience it's just it's supporting 
your death and who you are at home rather than just coming in and providing a service for people. It, it really helps create that special environment that's there to, I guess, honour who, who you are and support you through your death as well. That's right. Yeah, and then in turn that's support. It's equally providing that support and um, comfort to those that are caring for you as well. Mm, so true, so true. It's like they get to experience that and, yeah, have yeah. all of that around them while they're caring for you too. Yes. What do you wish more people knew about dying at home? Just that it it actually, I mean, I think I've, I say this a lot, it doesn't actually need to be as scary as what people think it's going to be. Mm. Um, every client that I've had and every family that have done this have just said they wouldn't have done it any other way and it's just actually feels so natural and so normal when they're doing it. I mean, they mm. couldn't have imagined saying or thinking that before it happening, but then in reflection afterwards they're just like, yeah, we just could not have done that any other way and it just feels so right. And, yeah, I just think with good guidance and support and making sure everyone's informed and as best equipped as they can be, it can just create that circle of people around the dying person that feel at ease and comfortable that they they all know what's going to happen and that, that, you know, they're not alone and they're, you know, we've got their back and it's a truly sacred experience and it changes you and it's beautiful. Mm, so true. So true. I think a lot of it can just be that fear of the unknown too. It's not, not many people have supported someone to die at home. And I think whilst it's, you know, might be increasing and there's more people doing it, it's still not, you know, not everyone's choosing that when you don't know what to expect, it can be quite scary, but I think it's so, I guess, validating to hear that people that have gone through it have said, you know, we wouldn't do that any other way and that that is we're so glad we were able to do that for our loved one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And I guess that's a a good reason for people if they are even just curious about it or considering it or interested to just sort of speak to someone, get a little bit of information and see if, if that is for you. Mm. Um, is there anything that would I guess not disqualify yeah is is there any particular conditions that wouldn't be able to be supported at home or can most things be supported for people to die at home yeah well I mean good palliative care and good home care nursing is important naturally um just to make sure that people's symptoms are managed I mean if if pain was really uncontrollable or other distressing symptoms or you know vomiting or whatever it could be even dementia and mm. Alzheimer's that could pose some other problems with just confusion and, yeah, agitation. You know, sometimes mm. people go back into hospital and get things managed there. But, you know, if, if that is the case, well, then you just kind of think, well, okay, if we can't keep them at home, let's take them to hospital or wherever that may be and let's take home to them. And what mm. can we do to create that homely, comforting environment around them to make them feel as comfortable as they can and then knowing you've got that that choice also to bring that person home after they've died if that's what you wish that's such a beautiful point just just because you're in hospital or somewhere that's not home doesn't mean you can't create that environment there too and I think yeah you can see that done really beautifully sometimes by families who just bring in all the different comforts and just have the whole family there and it's all I mean, it depends on, I guess, what people have liked throughout their life, but you can really create that environment within a, a hospital or a residential aged care setting as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and something else that people have 
also like clients have also done is prepare to have their person like stay at home to die at home but then when it comes down to the end for some it does become too much Mm -hmm. and they do sometimes feel a sense of like obligation that they have to carry this out because this is what we talked about Mm. and if the person is unresponsive now and then the carer who's looking after them is just like I actually can't do this anymore I thought I could and it's too much or also being you know the dual roles to support that person and you know reassure them that you know that's okay and we still could set transfer them to hospital or back to the aged care facility or whatever and um you know and, and bring that all that care to the, to the hospital environment as well. So um, mm. often it's relief sometimes if people change their mind at the last minute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, slight side note, there are so many parallels to this with birth as well. I know. <laughs> as, as someone who tried to birth their child at home and then had to transfer to hospital, a lot of this is ringing very true. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's, it's so similar. It, yeah, birth and death are very, yeah, a lot of similarities. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, things don't plan, do they? (laughs) No, not always. You could have good intentions and good things documented and then sometimes it just doesn't quite go the way you expect. (laughs) That's right, and you just be prepared for that and, yeah, deal with it. (laughs) Absolutely. How great is lovely Kim. I hope there's some things that you got out of today's episode. As always, if you have any questions at all, please feel free to send them mine or Kim's way. I'll pop all of Kim's details in the show notes and also tag her on our Instagram and Facebook. You can find me at www.thetruthaboutaging.com.au, also on Facebook at The Truth About Aging Podcast and Instagram at The Truth About Aging. I hope you're all staying cozy wherever you are in the world and I will speak to you all again next week. Bye.